Our gospel lesson for today, Transfiguration Sunday, is found in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, by them, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who was talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with him anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. There is a song by the country artist Scotty McCreary that always makes my family kind of laugh. The song is called This Is It. And it reveals that he is used to the Appalachian Mountains because he says, way up in the mountains, 4,000 feet high, which to us Iowa Flatlanders who are used to about 1,000 feet, yeah, 4,000 feet is way up there. Anybody ever been to the Rockies? They're a little taller, aren't they? The reason that this makes my family laugh is because of one of our favorite places in the world, Rainbow Trail out in the mountains of southern Colorado. Now, the camp that we go to, the camp, is on the side of the mountain, not really very high up, and it's at 8,500 feet, more than twice as high as Mr. McCreary likes to talk about. Now, the camp itself is on a mountain called Eagle Peak, and one of the hikes, the many hikes that you can do every, uh, every time we're out there is to climb Eagle Peak. Now, over the years that we've gone out there, I have done it three times. So three times I've been to the top of this mountain that tops out just under 14,000 feet. Let me tell you, when you're up there on top of that mountain, you're above the tree line, you're above the, the grass line, and it's nothing but rock, wind, and open sky. You want to talk about being up a high mountain, that is up a high mountain. Now, in the three times that I've done this hike, I've been struck each time by... The, the fact that when you're clear up there high, there's no cover, and you are at the mercy of what other Mother Nature might want to throw at you. Now, I've been fortunate that the sun has been shining all three times that I was up there. However, on the way back down, the weather was not so nice a couple of those times, and I have gotten caught in rainstorms. Fortunately, I was already back down below the tree line when that happened, which gives a little bit of cover. And let me tell you, when you're in the mountains and the hail starts, you are glad for those trees so you can at least stand downwind of them. But when you're up there, clear up on top, whatever it might want to throw at you, there's not a thing you can do about it. Now, there was a time uh, about four or five years ago, I was not on this hike, but several of the other people were. And they were clear up high. They were above the grass line. They were up in what they call the boulder field, which is exactly what it sounds like. You're climbing over all these enormous rocks. And all of a sudden, the clouds came boiling up over the back of the mountain and covered the entire thing that they were on. Now, the people that were on that hike said, we could see maybe like 15 feet away from us. Imagine the thickest fog you have ever been in. Now, imagine that you're up on top of a mountain and the wind starts to blow and it's starting to rain and uh, you can't see anything. 
Now that sounds a little bit scary, right? One more thing happened on that hike. In the midst of all of this uh, cloud and rain and wind and everything, they saw a mountain lion. Yeah, for a brief second, and then it ran off into the, the cloud, and they didn't know where it was. So imagine you have no cover. The wind is blowing. You can't really see very far. You're wet, and it's rainy and windy, and now there's a danger out there unseen in, in the cloud. Anybody else think that sounds a little freaky? Okay. How many people have ever been up a mountain? Just out of curiosity. Okay. How many people have been out in really, really harsh weather with no cover? How many people have ever been around an animal that could take you out if it wanted to? Okay. Combine all of this. Can you relate to the fear that those people were probably feeling? Okay. That's what I want you to hold on to. The ability to relate to something that is... Amazingly scary, okay? Let's talk about the transfiguration. This is such a great story. This is a moment when we see the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus overlap. And it's a great, great story, even in the short little version that we have from Mark. So Jesus takes uh, the three disciples, I always call them the big three, Peter and James and John, the ones that I can only assume Jesus thinks they need a little extra work, so I'm going to take them off by themselves. And they go up this high mountain. And it's a pretty tall mountain, folks. I've been there in Israel. And it is maybe not quite as tall. There's still trees, so there's a little bit of cover. But you are up, and there's this open valley all the way around you. It's, it's amazing where this mountain is. But they go up to the top of the mountain, and something happens to Jesus. We have this moment that we call the transfiguration. We have a description of kind of what happens, but it's very vague. We hear that Jesus basically starts to glow. It's almost like somebody turns on a, a million watt uh, candle, uh, I don't know, a really bright light, and, uh, and Jesus just starts glowing. We hear his face shines like the sun, and that his clothes become so white that no launderer could ever make them that white. And folks, as the person who does the laundry at my house, I'm really jealous. I wish I could get the whites that white. But these things happen, and we don't know exactly what's going on. And I can only imagine in this moment, as the divine is showing through, that which is so much more than any witnesses could possibly begin to describe, they did the best they could to try and describe what was happening. Now, apparently this moment is really, really, really scary. And I imagine it is. Jesus all of a sudden starts to glow, and these two other random guys just kind of show up. We hear that Moses and Elijah are there. I always sort of wonder, how do they know that it's Moses and Elijah? Are they both wearing name tags? I don't, I don't know. Well, Moses and Elijah show up, and Jesus is glowing, and the disciples seemingly kind of freak out. And then we got Peter. How many people think that Peter is the most human person ever and the most relatable person ever? I do. Because I see a lot of myself in Peter. I am often impulsive. I often speak without thinking and put my foot in my mouth. Many of you have probably seen that happen at times. Peter kind of freaks out. Lord, uh, it's good that we're here. We should stay here. I'll make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And we hear. He says it because he's scared and he doesn't know what else to say. And the moment that he says this, then all of a sudden the cloud, this amazing thick cloud, overshadows them. And this booming, seemingly powerful, maybe even sounds a little dangerous voice of God. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. As soon as the event starts, it's over. 
That's the thing that always gets me about this. Like, boom, it happens, and then boom, it's done. And we don't know exactly how long it lasts, but I can only imagine that Peter and James and John are just utterly flabbergastedly scared. Is that, is that, a, is that a real phrase? They're scared. They're freaked out. Whatever has happened, it's beyond their ability to comprehend. It's beyond their ability to really describe, and they're scared. Can we blame them? They've gone up a mountain, and in their history, in the history of the Jewish people, when God shows up on top of a mountain, it sounds pretty scary. And I think maybe, just maybe, knowing that history is perhaps a little bit of an explanation about why Peter says, uh, maybe we should build some tents. Think about it. Moses went up a mountain, hung out with God. It lasted 40 days. Elijah, who we heard about from Jay, not the same specific story, but Elijah went up a mountain, hung out with God, and it took 40 days. So maybe they're thinking, well, we came up the mountain. These guys are here. Seems like God is showing up, and that's really scary. This might last a while. Maybe we should make some tents. We might be up here for 40 days. Now, it doesn't seem to last that long. But maybe, just maybe, that's why Peter, who is so scared and is just grasping for anything to hold on to, maybe that's why he starts saying this. And I can't blame the guy. He's just defaulting to what maybe he knows because he's so terrified. This is so beyond the ability for him to comprehend. And like I've already said, I relate to Peter. I see a lot of myself in Peter. But it occurred to me this week that maybe not everyone relates to Peter the same way I do. And that's okay. I think that's why we have so many different people that were present within the stories of the gospel. So many different people that surrounded Jesus, not just for this story, but for so many different stories. Now think about it. We got Peter and John. No, Peter. Well, yeah, Peter's there. That's not what I'm talking about. We got John and James. They're along too. We don't hear a word out of them. So either they're just the strong, silent types, or we just don't hear about it this time. Well, guess what? Later on, we do hear from Peter and James. Clearly, I'm stuck on Peter. I keep saying Peter. We hear from these guys at different times. But in this moment, we don't hear anything from them. So maybe you can relate to James and John. Have you ever been freaked out but so scared that you just didn't know what to say so you didn't say anything? Yeah. What about some of the other people that are in the Gospels? Think about the people that are in those various stories that you can relate to because of your experience. I think that is so important when we consider these stories, not just this one, but all of these stories that surround the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. These moments when the divine is present in the midst of the regular, when the divine is there in the midst of the, our humdrum day-to-day -day life, and we hear of so many different people that react in different ways and encounter Jesus in different ways and experience Jesus in different ways. And I think that's intended for all of us so that we can see that the divine does show up in the midst of our lives. He's got the best voice ever. I love that. I appreciate the presence of regular people in the midst of the Gospels, because we begin to see ourselves in their experience. And if that's the case, then maybe we need to consider what they experience and what they are told and what happens to them. Now, in our, our story today, the booming voice of God, who seemingly is responding to Peter and his boneheaded comment that he makes, this is my son, listen to him. That's the command that's given to them. 
as followers of Jesus, that's what we try to do. We try to listen to Jesus. We try and pay attention to what he, his teachings are and the ways that he models how to live in this world. And there's two things from Jesus' teachings that I think are important for all of us. One is the very, very first thing that Jesus ever says in Mark's gospel. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Whatever's going on in his life and his death and his resurrection, he is bringing heaven to us. We cannot get to God, so God comes to us. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And then in one of the last things that Jesus teaches, it's not the very last thing he ever says in the gospel, but it's one of the last moments of teaching. Someone asks him, Master, what's the most important commandment? Love God with all of your heart and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Is that not what we are called to do in this life? To love the one who has first made us and to mirror that love out to one another. It sounds really simple, but we all know that it's not. And we all know that we come up short at that. We all have our bonehead moments, just like Peter, when we fail, when we fall short, when we don't live up to those expectations. But thanks be to God that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that brokenness has been overcome on our behalf. Again, we can't get to heaven, so Jesus somehow brings it to us. The divine shines through the human to remind us that the presence of God is with us all the time, whether we see it or not. Sometimes it may be so blazingly apparent that it almost blinds us, and sometimes it's so, so subtle. But I love the fact that our Lord has promised to always be with us and that the Spirit is constantly surrounding us in the times when maybe we recognize it and the times when we don't. That is the promise of the gospel, the promise of the one who tells us you will never be left alone and that he is with us always. Amen.